Welcome back to Slot Leader. I'm your host, Umed Saidov. This is part two of episode seven. We are back with Colin Edwards, and we're going to continue to discuss cryptocurrency trading. I see. Now, uh, why an hourly um, resolution? Can you tell us about that? I tend to think on, on hours. <laughs> you know, I, that, that's, a, you know, I, I, I think as you get too granular, um, you know, you and, and sometimes granular is quite useful if you look at what kind of flows through. But uh, I tend to look at uh, volume weighted prices as well. You know, so I might look at a volume weighted average price for movements um, so that that tends to give a, a better signal for mission. And I tend to think about how likely is it going to be in any particular hour. Um, there are certain hours where you have a lot of buyers and sellers. So that's just a, a time range that I tend to think at. Um, okay. Now, so different why, why trades not four could hours. You know, why not four hours? You could. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of, of ways to do it, but I, I find that it's easy for me to think uh, in hours, and, and okay. that's one that, that I've found effective. Uh, other people will do trading on, on different time scales, so I, I tend to be in, you know, not high frequency, um, but uh, in in terms of of things that happen within an hour, it, once or twice a week. You know, so I'm looking at, at big hours that it, where, where they're going to move once or twice a week. And that's uh, it's frequent enough that it keeps coming, but it's not so frequent that I can't kind of mentally keep my mind around everything happening. Okay. So um, from what I'm gathering, if you are a, um, a market maker, VAR is going to be your sort of guide in terms of where you want to exit. Now, the question or, or trade or you know, trade okay yeah exit or, enter enter. or exit yeah. I, I think it's a useful enter or exit measure of, of just what kind of, of moves are likely you don't want to be too far outside there because yeah. you're never going to get hit you don't want to be too close in or or if you are you're, you're, you're working on a different market you're, you're just making that spread all the time you're not taking a a liquidity view on it you're you're kind of competing in that high frequency market making. If you're, you're competing in tighter, you've got to be trading on a much more frequent basis. Uh, I see. So, okay. <clears throat> and, and operationally, that's harder. You know, <laughs> it's Python. Uh, I, I'm a Python programmer. So yeah. I, I find it, Python works fine on hourly basis. If, if you're working on seconds or milliseconds or faster responses, you, you might need a different technology. I don't have a great connection. I don't have a high, you know, a co-located server uh, okay. or anything like that. So you kind of <laughs> want to pick a time scale that works with your operational concerns. Okay. Now the question uh, here in, in the, looking at this VAR chart is that um, how do you, identify differences in, uh, in, in sort of states. For instance, you know, uh, one of the things in, in statistical analysis is uh, trying to, um, you know, identify the, the, um, the points where your, 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 your previous statistical analysis may not hold and you might not get the immediate information about that uh, change in the state. Um, uh, until, you know, whatever your average period is to, you know, gets, to, you get to that point, if you know what I mean. So um, how do you sort of account for that? So the, let's say that the VAR here is, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, the bandwidth you're talking about is uh, 95 to, uh, um, you know, 95% whatnot. And, uh, and uh, let's say that the, 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 the nature of, 
of price movements changed from one point beyond? Is 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 there a way to to identify that? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I, I mean, this is again one of the reasons I use an exponentially weighted moving average is, is just to take that through so quickly. Uh, you uh -huh. know, particularly when you're looking at it, the high decay, it's sort of on the last three weeks is is a lot of the focus. Uh, you okay. know, what's happened recently, and when you're looking at an hourly, you know, that might even be what's happened in the last three or four days, and and so you're you're placing a very high. Uh, amount of focus on, on just the most recent history. And I think that works quite well with certain momentum as you see periods of, of lots of, of trading and, and periods with, with much less. Um, and, and there are day of the week effects. You know, certain days uh, people tend to profit take. For example, um, <laughs> my, my miner, <laughs> he trades on Thursdays. Uh, I don't know why, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, so I'm I'm always just kind of waiting around. Maybe this Thursday I'm I'm gonna gonna get it, and, and you know, so there's a certain frequency, and you you observe those things. You say there's certain frequencies that people trade on certain days of the week, uh, and and news cycles have an effect on that. Uh, and, and there's a number of different things. You know, different times of month have different effects, uh, okay. but I think having a fairly rapid decay on those numbers uh, is is useful. And so I I tend to adjust where I'm I am based on on just fairly recent history. So it's really the last, uh, say about four or five days tends to have the largest weight. Okay. Well, that's, that, that's, that's a great way of uh, actually, you know, protecting yourself against these kind of uh, eventualities. Do you want to walk us through, <clears throat> because you, you said that uh, there are more than one strategies that uh, could be employed. You walked us through um, the market making. Is there any other types of strategies that you would like to discuss in, in depth? Sure. I'll actually go through two if I've got time. One of mm -hmm. these is a kind of a mean reversion trade. And, and this is one where you could look at uh, two different coins. In this case, I'm, I'm trading um, a, a coin versus it happens to be a, a basket of other coins. Um, and this is the kind of trade that um, in Europe, uh, you can trade using what's called a contract, contract for differences uh, on a site like eToro. Uh, the, the UK government recently came in and said from January, this type of trading will, will not be allowed for UK citizens. Um, so <laughs> that's a limit, you know, and, and certainly this is something that generally is not available to US citizens at all. Um, and, and so that would be much more limiting in terms of trading, but there's, there's some ways to take advantage of it. Now a contract for difference, you're just essentially taking the return. It's, it's a very much what we called a total return swap where you are paying the returns of one asset and you're receiving the returns of a different asset. And these sites will often allow you to, to put these trades on um, as well as having certain things that are very useful for algorithmic trading like stop losses. Uh, one of the challenges of a contract for difference is you, you, you might be open to unlimited losses if you, know, you were short Uniswap when it went to the moon, you, you might lose a lot of money. And this is, I think, one of the reasons why the regulation has come in. Uh, if people start losing their houses for doing this type of trading, that governments will strongly crack down. And I think, you know, this is, as, as people look at it on change exchanges, this is something that we are, are thinking about a lot of how do you make it so that individual investors or traders, um, you know, have at least some confidence in, in what they're doing. Um, 
we have a lot of, of legal people that look anything we do either. Uh, but just in, in personal trading, this is an example of where uh, you have coins. This is uh, EOS. It's, it's uh, a, one of the coins I, I have in a, a basket of coins that uh, I conceptually think about as coins that seem like they are uh, taking good ideas from other coins, um, you know, and, and they are using the best ideas and, and growing with them. And, and uh, ADA, of course, is, is in this basket as well, uh, Ethereum and a number of other uh, very publicly well-known coins I tend to think about as sort of the 3.0 coins that are, are looking at doing something better. And the reason that I, I use these as a basket is um, I have a pretty strong feeling that if one of them comes up with a good idea, the others are going to start getting that onto their development list pretty quick. And so I, I have a, a certain view of, of largely they're going to mean revert over time. They might occasionally go to new levels, but there is a, a sense of mean reversion. Okay. In this particular case, yeah. uh, the way that you'd execute this trade is you'd have some rules. For example, when the orange line, um, you know, is, is above the blue line, I'm expecting those to converge back at, at some point in the future. Uh, and so I might have a rule about, you know, when this level is 10% above this other level, uh, get into the trade. And then you, you buy the blue. Is that what it is? I would exactly. So I would sell the orange and, and buy the blue using something like a CFD. Okay. Uh, and uh, the, that's going to, um, you're going to have to put some money down for that. Uh, yeah. you, and you're going to, um, you're going to lose some money up front, you know, so uh, in a CFD like this, you might pay say two and a half percent of the value of the trade up front. So that puts a limit on uh, one of the reasons that a lot of people lose money on CFDs is it's not a 50, 50. You, you, you've got to be making, you know, uh, in, in these are cases where about 70% of the time, if, if you can get your, your trade ideas to work in the 70% range, you can on average make money uh, on them. And um, that is, is a kind of a discipline that I think is quite hard because, you know, you, you just don't want to be, you want to have a signal that is um, wide enough that, to trade on, but it doesn't last so long that you're in the trade for months. And, and so this is kind of an interesting idea of before you get in, if it's a certain amount, let's say it's 10% above, I expect those to mean revert. Uh, so there's there's 10% profit. So I've got a profit taking rule when they, they you know, get close to crossing each other, I'm, I'm gonna get out of the trade, you know? So, mm -hmm. you know, if one is above the other, I'm gonna buy one and sell the other. Uh, I'm gonna get out when they revert. If it goes the other way, I've always, always got a stop loss on there, um, you know, and, and that's going to be one where you, you just don't want to trade these things with unlimited liability. You <laughs> just, just take your loss and, and take your lesson. And uh, this is one where we're backtesting is very, very useful, which is just looking at historical outcomes and saying, if I had this trade uh, and, you know, and, and particularly it's very important to keep in, um, mind what your costs and your slippage are. So if you're paying an immediate two and a half percent up front, um, you're not even going to start making money in, until you're, you know, you're, you're recognizing. And, and here I've, I've got a 10%, you know, I'm, I really want to take 10%, um, you know, just so that I've got enough margin to, to make some money. And uh, some of the time you're going to go the wrong way, you know, things will pull apart and you just are forced out. And 
Uh, I've also got a time limit on these things. I usually, you know, will will say I'm I'm going to recognize this in two weeks if it hasn't come back. And and this is one where you can actually look at the time scales. Uh, this is a particular case where, you know, you can see these things crossing each other on a, a week. Uh, week and a half, two week basis. They're they're not out there for for months, and that also gives you a sense of you know what you're what you're getting in for. You know you've got a maximum upside, you've got a maximum downside, you've got a fixed duration, um, and you can go to sleep at night. You know you're not going to lose your house. I think that's a, a really critical when you're doing these is to have that discipline about where you think you can get in or out of these things uh, in this market, uh, and. Again, this is trading two names that are highly correlated, you know, so you're not taking a view on the market going up or down. You're, you're just taking a view that, you know, historically, these two coins have had a certain relationship uh, and they're going to come back to that relationship. You know, this coin is, if it falls behind too far, it's going to start adjusting its behavior. If it uh, gets too far ahead, the other coins are, are going to start taking some of the good ideas. So it's so my uh, question to you uh, with this setup is that how do you how do you weight that index? Is it uh, was it market based, market uh, weighted, or how do you you like? That's a good question. Uh, this particular one it happens to be evenly weighted among the coins uh, mm -hmm. simply because that's very easy to book. <laughs> you know when you put that trade in, uh, you know if you have too many tickers, it, it's kind of a pain. And so it it's useful to just say I'm going to slice a, a certain cash amount. Uh, uh, another way to do that is often I will look at um, uh, use PCA to come out with a market index. Uh, principal component analysis is, is one way of, of looking at how much things kind of uh, explain each other. And, and this is sort of a, a market effect. And then you can look at the, the volatility of the asset and essentially use uh, what's called the beta or the sensitivity to the market move. So you can create a theoretical market portfolio um, and, and use some betas to that. Uh, there's also uh, a number of other types of machine learning algorithms. I, I find that um, uh, like a, a lasso regression uh, with uh, is pretty good at identifying trades again that, uh, or, or ridge regression actually is probably even more effective uh, of ways of, of just how do, how do you, you know, given an index that I've kind of created out of thin air using PCA, what holdings do I need to actually replicate the, the value of that index? Uh, and so that's that's just a straightforward machine learning, you know, these okay. are my returns, this is what I'm, I'm minimizing, uh, give me my, my weightings. And, uh, and it just comes out with a portfolio of, of things like that. Okay. So, and you, so that's yeah. one, I think that kind of mean reversion trading is, is certainly one that, um, is kind of an interesting, you see a lot of this kind of algorithmic trading in, in hedge funds. Mm -hmm. This is, this is going to be a very common type of, of hedge fund trading. Uh, so a lot of players are doing this. And that's another thing that forces sort of the convergence is, is once people start trading around things converging, uh, they're buying one and selling the other. Uh, it, it actually, uh, it, it encourages people, it encourages that mean, you know, uh, reversion as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I, when I looked at trading like this, uh, my, my biggest sort of concern, and, and that's just, this is like three years ago, my biggest concern was that I, I couldn't actually short, do naked shorts. And that was the problem with uh, this kind of types of trades. But uh, as you say, if they have a product that's, you know, addresses that issue, that's perfect. Even though yeah. we can't do that anymore. <laughs> so... 
it's I think it's a huge opportunity actually for crypto and, and distributed exchanges to offer these kind of products because I think that when you're uh, risk managing, you know, for example, um, if you own a large amount of of stock in a company you work for, uh, being risk averse, the the first thing you probably want to do is is somehow diversify your, your your stock holdings. You don't necessarily want to hold stock in a company you work for. So something like a contract for difference is very good because you can say, okay, I work for a major bank. I work for Goldman Sachs and they gave me a huge stock bonus. I, I wish this was true. <laughs> but uh, in my hypothetical example, let's say we went public and I got, you know, my annual salary in stock. And so I'm sitting on this stock from the company that, um, they went public in 99, I worked there. Okay. Uh, but so theoretically, you know, that I want to hedge out. I don't want to hold this stuff. I want to, I want my stock holdings to be a, a hedge in case I lose my job or, or the economy. So I, I really want to get out of, of things. And, and so a contract for difference is quite useful to say, I, let's take this holding in this company I work for. I, I might have a very strong uh, bullish feeling about the company. Maybe I think they're a great company, um, yeah. but I don't want to be exposed to that risk. And I think that contracts for differences are, are one way of being able to manage your own kind of financial risks as an individual where you might hold a company. If my name was Charles Hoskinson, maybe I want to hedge out some of my ADA risk. Uh, you know, well, who, and, who's, who's taking the other side of the trade though? I mean, that's the problem. That's, that's a good question. Um, often they're going to be, you know, many of these companies are essentially market makers, they're going to be trying, you know, they're going to charge a spread and that spread will be people that are taking the other side of it, you know, so it's like a bookie. They're, they're looking for enough people to be on, on every side of it. Yeah. Um, and then, then, then you actually uh, face the question of liquidity of that, of that guy. If I'm Charles Hoskinson, uh, let's say I want, I want to hedge, you know, uh, 500 million ADA, and uh, somebody says, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that trade for you." You you have to be able to uh, analyze and and be sure that when the the trade comes, that he will show up and and do whatever he he said he would do. In in uh, in official markets, there are ways to to guarantee that there are insurances. I'm not sure if does does that exist in in crypto. Well, this is a good question about a DeFi product that doesn't exist. But if it did exist on chain, you'd have to have some sort of fixed loss term. So you'd have to have some sort of collateral that you could put up. You would have to have, you know, you wouldn't have this unlimited liability. That can only exist because the government will, will step in and, you know, make you pay these people and, and, and they have a, a sense of identity. So if you were going to do this on chain, and as far as I know, this isn't done on chain anywhere as a financial product. Um, but it's a it's the kind of thing that you could do using, say, Gogan and Marlowe, <laughs> but I don't think it's been done yet. Ah. Uh, so, you know, people that are interested in, in building such a thing, uh, check out, you know, the Marlowe playground. And, and that's certainly one of the things they would show you how to do, you know, you could engage that team. Uh, Simon is, is a brilliant um you know, communicator and, and, and also in terms of mathematicians. And so that's the kind of a product you could build using a, a language like that. But you'd have to have some way of having a, a fixed collateral, you know, so you couldn't have this unlimited liability. You'd have to say, I'm willing to, you know, uh, you know, put a, a put a stop loss on there and, and you could price that. Uh, it's, it's very similar to an option price. You know, um, in fact, it would fall right out of, of option pricing theory. Okay. Uh, you, could, you could set an appropriate limit on that. Oh, perfect. It's a product that doesn't exist right now. Yeah, but that that's a great opportunity to be honest. I, and, I, I might I might look into that. 
and I think it's one that serves a real legitimate need, which is people looking to hedge their own risk, whether you're the owner of a company, whether you're the owner of a, you know, whether you're an employee of a company that, that is rewarded in stock. Uh, I think it makes sense. If you're an ADA holder and ADA is at $10 and, and you think that it's, it's great that you have that, but I would like to basically protect the downside and you would like to hold it, but you don't necessarily want to endure the pain of, of uh, lo- losing <clears throat> the, uh, the value as you hold. So you could just uh, protect the downside at the, to- at the top. So as far as I know, Charles is not employing CFDs. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> I would say that there's probably, uh, our, our lawyers would probably be <laughs> totally uncomfortable with this, given yeah. that he lives in the United States. I, I can guarantee that that's a, a non-starter for him. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, the, the way I look at cryptocurrency is in general and why I got, got into these uh, into this space is that it's, it's, an, it's an open option with uh, extreme volatility. And if, if the technology, underlying technology is solid enough, then uh, you, you, you will make a lot of money just by holding for a long time, long term. I think the ability to support these kind of contracts is one thing that really gives a lot of value because there is you know, there's a lot of open questions on how to make these contracts safe. You can't have people losing their homes. You know, they have to understand the risks. And, um, but at the same time, I think it, there, there's a huge opportunity for contracts if they existed for people to kind of manage their own financial lives better. And, you know, I think as, as people have become more financially savvy, uh, whether that is managing your own investments or, uh, managing your own finances in in a much more sophisticated way than, than people did maybe 50 years ago, um, you know that kind of of re- ask for for financial products that allow you to kind of risk manage yourself. Uh, I think I think it's only going to increase. Yeah. So I think that's that's a very positive. I think it's also a very you know I think that ability to take individual action to manage your own finances is a very positive you know, message about individualism as well. You know, yeah. you, you can you can you can make provision for your own future. And I think that's engaging regulators in the right way about that. It's going to be a challenge, you know, that they want to make sure that you're not taking advantage of people. And um, but at the same time, I think there there's a huge, very positive message. And and that's one that in fact underlines a lot of the value proposition, I think, for cryptos. Yeah. Uh, so Last trade any, idea. Uh, I'll try to go through this one in two yeah. minutes if, right. if we've got any time. Right. Yeah, let's do that. This was actually a, a one that came out a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, there was a, a hack on an exchange called KuCoin. And uh, this is one that is, is quite interesting uh, in terms of, of just tracking as, as a as, as a quant, because one of the things is going to know is, is it bad news events uh, are going to hurt you know, to some extent, the price of all cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. and, and understanding how much it impacts and, and the prices is important. Um, so one of the things I was actually looking at after this hack was the coins that were hacked and, and the price impact. And it happened to correspond to uh, a series of talks that um, were happening with, um, you know, uh, between Cardano and, and, and uh and Ben Gertzel, who was uh, Singularity.net, this coin is AGI, uh, you know, was was part of that hack. And, and so this was one where it, it was a very interesting situation where it came through on, on a Friday, that hack, but uh, the coins, uh, you know, took longer to figure out what the coins were. And, and this was a case where we started to see a, a huge spike in volatility. I hope you can see this spike down here yep. in the volatility. 
uh, where, where the, the volatility was raising much above average. And, and my thesis was this was, was hackers that were selling off the coin. And uh, they, they happened to be doing it at a time that I thought that um, as they were talking about this coin in front of the Cardano community, this is kind of a, a new community for many of the AGI holders. So I thought this is going to create some demand in that community as well. So we should uh, appreciate some, some price appreciation at the same time that we're having this incredible pressure of, of people coming into the market and, and selling off. And uh, so that was kind of this, this trade thesis of, of watching these people come in. Uh, so I put a couple of um, buys and sells in just on the back of this. And, and let's say that if you were, were looking at, at this, you might put on a, let's say a, a Bitcoin trade and which it might be a large trade in, under many circumstances. But again, we're seeing these incredible volumes of, of millions of dollars coming through where, where that was, was coming through in uh, hours instead of in, you know, uh, days, you know, where it would normally take so that you, you could put on uh, some bids and, and I kind of took a, a view on this being a, a four standard deviation move. Um, mm -hmm. And in a way outside of what you'd expect from a, a normally distributed, you know, this is, is tail risk. And so I said, this sounds like a good opportunity to, to get in. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in into a coin that maybe is going to move up, but, but at, a, at a buying opportunity, you know, there's this pressure and uh, going on with this, you know, the, the selling off here. And so, uh, you know, you can put in a maker order and the market eventually got there. I mean, I, I kind of timed it again, looking at, at, at VAR numbers, uh, looking at statistically what kind of outcomes were likely and pitching it towards the, the more unlikely outcomes. You know, this is, this is a big event. This is not a random walk event. This is an event that, that I think is going to push beyond it. But we've got some view on, on some other events and other coins that, uh, about 10% is where they move in, in a reasonable, and this is over the course of a couple hours. Uh, and this so, is the example of a uh, an event-driven um, trade, is that right? That's right. So this isn't necessarily an algorithmic one. This was one yeah. where, you know, you, you're just listening to the news and thinking there's something going on here. Um, how do, how do we, we benefit? This is not one that I would do algorithmically because it was very much looking at, you know, chatter, uh, but also this really cool product, you know, that was kind of getting, getting shown in front of a, a, what I would consider a, a new audience. And, and that was one yeah. where I thought that should at least spark some interest. And, um, you know, and, and so there was actually this recovery afterwards. Um, I, I did take a view that the miners happened to be Asian and they were going to do most of their selling in Asian hours. And, um, and, and that may or may not have been true, but it, it did in, in this case happen to largely correspond to uh, early hours in, in Asia. Um, you know, they, they got up at 7 a.m. that morning and started, and I don't know exactly who the hackers were, but, um, and then it came back in the subsequent uh, period of time after that initial sell-off. Uh, and, and we did see some subsequent sell-offs after that, but, uh, that recovery again, that's more of a random walk as people are coming in, you know, we've got a, a sort of a view on, on what a news impact uh, kind of outcomes. And I'm not a believer in calling tops or, or, or bottoms. You know, I, I think that's a hard one. You're going to say, where is it profitable to, to take some money? Um, you know, don't get greedy, just, just take your money and 
Um, Do another and you know, there's a certain fee that you're going to make, and, and you're going to have a certain profit target. So, you know, and and you can you can kind of pitch it on that. And this is a case where I thought if it doesn't get executed, I'm I'm still actually fairly happy with this. You know, this is this yeah. is kind of a a cool product. This is a a coin that that looks interesting as a science fiction fan. I I'm intrigued by the idea of, of general intelligence, artificial general intelligence anyway. So um, this was, was one where I was, was happy to, to see what was happening and get in and play with it. And um, it also gives you a feel for, you know, I, I kind of like as, as things uh, get talked about, it, it's quite useful to, to have a little bit of insight. There's no substitute for, for playing with things. Yeah, um, I mean, I see in the chart that the, the price never recovered um, fully. It looks like. Um, which means that if you owned it at that uh, point, then you'll probably own it right now, and uh, maybe it will you will require it recover, but maybe in two or three weeks where you can actually sell it. Yeah, and I think that's one where you know um, you may be in fact be, be quite happy to hold it at, at those levels, thinking of some price appreciation. Um, you know, that would be my my take. I I, I can tell you that I I part um, of another investigation was just looking at what Ethereum gas fees were. So putting some of that into the staking program they had was kind of an interesting way to test what Ethereum gas fees were over a couple different points. Wow. I'm, I'm a big believer in empiricism rather than calculation when it when it can be done, um, just as a total aside. So that that's kind of another interesting trade idea where yeah. you're kind of just looking at events and, and kind of playing um, you know, supply and demand. You're you're buying when people are selling and, and selling into to buying activity. And I quite like that because there's there's a clear value proposition, which is just you're kind of facilitating the buying and selling and reducing the price of the asset. Um, there should be a long-term business in that, and, and that's a long-term value add to the system. Um, particularly things like the market making are, are a huge problem for new coins. And, and that's one where I think that there is a, a, a virtue to an extent on that, particularly when you're only playing with maker orders. If, if you're only doing maker orders, you're not bidding up the price, you're not tanking the price, you're not taking advantage of any kind of, you know, games that, that people might be playing. You're, you're, you're sitting there trying to stabilize the price to an extent. And, yeah. and taking it's a service. A, a, it's a service. It's, it's a service. It's a long-term service. And I think that... When you can trade like that, that's a long-term opportunity. It's not, you know, uh, some of these, when you think, oh, you're profiting off a hack, that's a one, you know, once a year type of, you know, just put a little bit of money down and, and see what happens. Well, I mean, um, you could justify, you know, by saying the hack has no bearing on on the coin's fundamentals. So if you're selling that, you know, it doesn't really mean that, you know, why, why shouldn't I buy it? It, it? it doesn't make sense in the sense that, yeah, it's a it's a temporary uh, supply and demand mismatch that led to that price decrease, but uh, you would be uh, not a not a very smart trader if you don't take advantage of that, um, and and that stabilizes the prices. Imagine if you didn't if you weren't there um, to pick up that uh, uh, deviation, basically. Exactly, and you know that was one where uh, up to that point I wouldn't have been you know uh, even though we're not regulated in the same way as a, a thing. I, I know that within the, the company, there were people talking to them. And so that's a, a trade I couldn't have actually made until Charles had that conversation, which yeah. was a nice fortuitous time to start playing uh, with that yeah. one. 
Now, um, Colin, I would like to basically cover uh, uh, the last segment, um, the psychological traps of trading. Um, what kind of psychological traps have you identified in your career and how, how, how do people uh, avoid them? Well, I think one of them is, is watching the market too much. You know, I think that you have to set reasonable limits where you're going to get in and get out of a trade and try to set those up ahead of time so they get executed whether or not you're watching it. And, and then you can kind of go home at night. You know, I think that having a, even a discipline like this is my upside, this is my downside. Uh, and if that downside is ever unlimited, you just don't do the trade. <laughs> you know, you, you kind of want to think, okay, this is, and I think having some clarity around what your thesis is and say, do I still believe this or not uh, is, is a strong one. Um, when you're actually doing trading, I think that you can't get too attached to the assets that you're trading. You, you have to be willing to go both sides of it. And even if you like something, it may be overpriced and you may not have a lot of respect for a coin, but think it's still undervalued. And Don't those are, <laughs> what, what do you say? <laughs> Doji coin. That's what I said. Well, I think you want to have a certain degree of, of comfort that it's a real project. You know, I, I think that there are meme coins, you know, that you might call them uh, that, that have no, you know, value, you know, where I, whereas you can think this, this has got value. I, I may not like these people personally, but their coin has some value. And, and so you don't have to take a, a thing. You in, And that's one, I think the one of the biggest traps is only investing in things you really like, because a lot of other people might really like them and they may be bid up a bit more than from where they should be. Um, I think that cryptos are kind of an interesting asset class because I think in general, as an asset class, they are, are quite undervalued relative to where they'll be long-term. And, and that's because there are a lot of dodgy players. Uh, there are a lot of, of questions about regulations and legal requirements. There's a lot of questions on um, what are gonna be the big applications and the winners out of this and who's gonna deliver that value. Um, so there's there's a lot of expectation of, of this long-term value. And that makes it a little bit easier to speculate in crypto because even if you're stuck on some coins for a while, as long as they're decent coins, uh, their development teams. One thing I look at is things like GitHub commits and, you know, development timelines and, and things like that. Uh, you know, if it's a real project that, that people are, are committed to, they've got a real community behind them, you know, holding it for a, a little bit longer and thinking they're, you know, th these are, are things that we structurally have some reasons to believe because of the number of, of dodgy players. You can You can make some choices about coins that have a real value proposition. And I think that's pretty positive too. Yeah, perfect. Um, yeah, I mean, that that covers a lot of uh, uh, things that, uh, a lot of points that traders might consider when in entering this space or trying to set up um, their, you know, you know trade trades in, in this space. Um, so it, it, it's, it's a great thing that you were here to talk about all these um, I do aspects. have one last piece of advice. Yeah, yeah. Write what? down your trade idea before you trade. And then when you take profit at the end, see if your trade idea made sense. Because I've found that the discipline of doing that is really helpful because after the fact, you think, oh, of course that made sense. And, and you have this ability to explain to yourself why you were brilliant ahead of time. And, and sometimes if you look at what you wrote down ahead of time 
and you look at what actually happened, it's 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 easy to fool yourself that you're you're better than you think you are. And I think that's a trap that's it's very human nature. And it, it's quite humbling to sometimes look back <laughs> what you've done that has been successful. And you think, I got lucky, you know, I what I thought was gonna happen didn't. And and I was in the right place at the right time and I, I caught something. And and that's I think a discipline that most people need to to focus on is is there's a bit of humility. You, it's it's hard, even when you're making money, particularly when you're making money, that you attribute it to the the right things. Yes, it's called a hindsight bias. Um, so when 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 things happen, then you say, "Of course, yeah, that's that's what I did." Of course, I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for coming, Colin. It was a great session. We covered trading basics. We covered executions of different strategies, and then we went over the psychological traps of uh, traders in this space. So that was uh, um, our guest again, Colin uh, Edwards, uh, the quantitative strategist at IOHK, who was giving us all these uh, valuable insights today. Thank you for coming. I hope it was fun. I certainly enjoy trading, so it's, it's a really fun hobby, I think. All right. Thank you very much again for coming. And uh, I hope to see you again soon in this uh, podcast. This marks the end of our episode today. If you like the content, don't forget to subscribe. Otherwise, I will see you next time.